Today, I'm talking about how we, as believers, as, as Christians, how do we engage in conflict, okay? So the title of the message was, Choosing Conflict as Peacemakers. Okay, it sounds contradictory, but it's if you're truly a peacemaker, you have to understand that it, you have to be in taking the initiative, preemptively engaging in conflict, okay? It sounds opposite. I know it's confusing, but it's, it's because so many people look at peacemaking and they think a lot about, like, that just means someone who, um, hey, can, every, can we all just get along? You know, they're the passive one who's on the side, who's kind of like, you know, they're yell- people are yelling at each other. It's like, and then you go over here and you're like, oh, you know, they didn't mean what they said. And, and, but really, they're just trying to make everything look okay on the surface. They don't actually want to solve the problem, right? See, that's the difference between peacekeeping versus peacemaking, okay? Uh, just, uh, just making a little distinction here. Peacekeeping is just, I just want to, I just want everything to be fine. I don't want to cause any, I don't want to stir up any problems. And let's just, hey, let's just forget about it. Let's just get over it. Let's just not address the problems that are there. Let's just shut our mouths and pretend like everything's fine and just keep it simple and sweet on the surface, okay? But peacemaking is different. Peacemaking is, is intentionally stepping into a place there is a problem here. There's something that needs to be addressed because it's keeping us apart. And it's actually, even if I'm going to have to ruffle some things up because I care enough to, because I want to bring true peace. All right? The verse that God was giving me to, to really hit on today was from Matthew 5, verse 9. It's the Beatitudes, all right? I would love one day soon, we can talk about this, to do a series through the Beatitudes, right? Because I think it's actually a really succinct and like a crisp um, framework for a Christian ethic. Right? When I say ethic, I just mean like how Christians ought to live in this world, right? Not just we need Jesus, not just that, but like, okay, now that I'm a saved believer, how do I live in this world? How do I engage with this world, right? The Beatitudes, there's actually, there's nine Beatitudes, but the first eight are, they, you can break it down. The first four are dealing internally, like it, and we don't need, I'm not going to go into this. But the second four, which this one falls into, is dealing externally, right? There's four internally and then four externally. There's stuff that just deals with you and stuff with how you are to deal with other people. And five verse nine falls into that part where it's talking about others oriented. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Okay. Really quick, what I want to address first is when it says they shall be called sons of God, um, I just thought it would be important to clear this up a little bit. Sons of God, when it talks about they will be called sons of God, it's not like, okay, now you got to act like this and then you'll be a Christian. Okay, it's not what it's saying. It's saying like, as you actively engage in the, wor- in the hard work of creating peace, people will recognize that like, oh, this person's different. This person belongs to God. This person is, a, is he's reflective of God. He looks like the type of feeling that I would get around God, right? He's becoming more like Christ. So as we're engaging this thing, you'll be called sons of God. People are going to see and they're going to gauge who we are, our identity, who we belong to, what kind of community, what kind of family we're a part of by how we engage with these difficult things, all right? And so we're going to talk now about peacemaking, okay? Peace is the key word we're going to talk about for the next portion of the sermon, the word Okay, because peace has interesting connotations. Okay, people think about. I think my original thought is a lot of kind of hippie feelings, like, hey, just everything's fine. It just let's all be good. Let's just be happy. Let's just you know, akuna matata. Let's forget. No worries. Let's just forget about everything and just all be good. That's what it means to be peaceful, right? Peaceful can sometimes mean passive. Peaceful can mean um, uh, like. You're a pushover. You're a you're a doormat. Oh, I just I just want everything to be fine. But peace in in the Jewish context, the word peace, right? It's translated shalom. Anyone ever heard that word before? Shalom. Okay, it's a common greeting in Jewish culture, right? And the word shalom, though, it means a lot more than just no bad feelings. It means a lot more than just let's all get along, be buddy buddy. Okay. The word peace, the word shalom, is much bigger than just peace. So when we think peace, we think the opposite of war. But it's not just about war. Shalom is a term that we can, it can be understood, it can be translated as wholeness, as completeness, 
as harmony, as health, as safety, as prosperity. Okay? When we talk about shalom, it's talking about is everything working correctly as it ought to? Okay? Is everything is everything lined up? Is everything in its right place? Anybody watch those kind of TikToks or YouTubes where like people are stacking things up and it matches perfectly? Like there's exactly enough stuff and it's, just, it's perfect or, or like, you know, they things are put in perfect order or they wrap something up and it just ah, it just feels refreshing. You know, when something just fits, when something just works perfectly, or you build something and you press on and it, it just works, it's just like, it's a good feeling. That feeling of like, this is right. This is working as it's supposed to. All the gears are turning. The engine is working smoothly. And it's just every different piece and is, is functioning exactly as it's meant to. That's the idea of shalom. And shalom, in the Jewish teaching, where it first comes up, is in Genesis chapter 1. No. Oh, yeah. By the way, you guys can follow along with me. If you go to theclyde.com slash notes, oh, if you, you can text Collide Notes, all one word, lowercase, Collide Notes to 94000, 94, Or you go to theclyde.com slash notes, okay? You follow along. I got some notes for you. You'll see what I'm seeing. Shalom. The, the, the word doesn't show up quite there yet. But whenever you look in Jewish teaching, they always go back to where was Shalom first witnessed? It's in Genesis chapter 1. It's in the very beginning. When God created everything, He put everything exactly where it was meant to be. Every fish, every tree, every cloud. He put the sun, He put the stars, He put the dark, He put the water, He put the land. He put everything exactly as it was meant to be. And He stood back and it just worked perfect, worked smoothly, right? Like, think about Shalom. I think about how it's crazy how the, the weather works, where rain falls from the sky, and it makes stuff grow, you know? And then, and then the, the people are eating, and I don't know, like, and, and it goes to the ocean, and the water evaporates into the sky again. It's just like this perfect cycle where everything works exactly as it's supposed to. And all the animals, they're all buddies, and they get along like in Winnie the Pooh, and they're all friends, and, and everyone just dances and sings together. And it's like, and the, the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, they named all the animals, and they're best friends with all the animals, and they never got, they never fought, they never, they never disagreed, and they were with God, and they just, they just felt so perfectly loved by God. And they, you know, the humans, even in Genesis 1, they talk about the humans were working. Work wasn't, work is not a, a reason of the fall. Work is something that was designed in what we were meant to do. They had their role. They had to, they were their farmers. They had to name the animals. They had to rule over stuff. But everything was working perfectly. Okay? That's this idea of shalom. And the story of shalom is what happens is that in, in Genesis 3, when you see the fall of humanity, when you see the first sin, when they disobey God, all of a sudden, there's a brokenness that comes in. The, the, the perfect harmony is broken. All of a sudden, there's some distrust. All of a sudden, there's a betrayal. All of a sudden, everything was working perfectly. Everything felt so right. Everything was so good. But now, something feels off. There's a disconnection. Brokenness. The shalom has been broken. Right? And then, the story of the Bible is, is a story of God, God's work to bring shalom back to, to work to the world, right? Little by little, shalom only gets worse. It happens on so many levels. It starts really small, just between, it starts on a purely spiritual level, right? Man and woman, actually, no, it doesn't just start on a purely spiritual. It first starts between man and woman, right? They sin, and then suddenly they hide from each other. Man and woman is not meant to hide from each other. They're not meant to feel ashamed. They're not meant to, to, to try to, to, to feel like something's wrong with them and not want them to see that was broken. They were meant to be fully accepted, fully known, fully loved with each other. They don't have to hide anything. But in, when the sin, there was brokenness happened. And then when God's walking in the garden, there's, they hide from God. They disobeyed Him. Their relationship was marred, right? And even in the very next chapter, in the next couple chapters, you see Cain and Abel. You see two brothers that are meant to care for each other, meant to love each other. And one is, is irritated because the other one got blessed by God and they didn't. So all of a sudden they're jealous, they're bitter, they're angry, and he kills his brother, right? Cain kills Abel. 
This is, this is the brokenness of shalom. When there's hatred between one another. When there should be harmony. When there should be union. When there should be love and acceptance and, and oneness. There's, there's tension. Right? The opposite of shalom, right? Not harmony, but, but chaos. And we see it happen more and more. As much as God is working, God is working to bring shalom back. He's working to, to work all these things back. But more and more, mankind, they just keep falling. And it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. People are selfish. People take from each other. People steal from each other. People hate each other. People lie to each other. People are greedy, and people are ambitious, and people are lustful. And, and everyone starts getting ruined. And then all of a sudden, like, then you get people... Like, I, I believe everyone was meant to live in family, right? But then in, in, a, in a world where shalom has been broken, you find people like who are isolated and have no friends. You find people who, then you find war. You find countries like we were never meant to kill each other. But you find entire nations going to fight each other. And God is even having to, how do I bring this back? Because the vision of God, even in Genesis 12, when he's beginning to give the first covenant with Abraham, his covenant was not just with one people. It was, you will, I will bless you and make you a great nation. And you will be a blessing to all nations. All nations will be blessed through you. Even from the beginning, God had this idea that we'll, we'll come back to a place where shalom will be restored. Right? Shalom is, and sh when we talk about shalom, there's so many different ways we can look at it. Okay? Shalom is an internal thing as well as an external thing. Okay? When I talk about internal, quote-unquote, shalom, it's not just, okay, are we friends or are we not friends? You can even be missing shalom within yourself. Right? Shalom is like, there's a disconnect. There's an unhappiness. There's something wrong with you. Right? There's, some, there's like a fear. The fear you have or a defensiveness you have or parts of you that you don't even understand. All of us are still moving little by little toward that shalom where finally every part of my story makes sense. Every, every aspect of how I was created to be is finally thriving. So many people are in situations where they're being underutilized or misutilized or they're doing things that they hate or they're surrounded by people they don't, you know, and they're just dissatisfied because they feel like I'm not living up to what I'm meant to be. You're experiencing broken shalom. But there is coming a time, and little by little, God is moving toward where we're going to be restored in everything I was meant to be. There's a spiritual shalom, right? Where there's this 100% connectedness to God. I just feel one with God. I feel totally known and, and I'm just in communion with Him and He knows me and I, and I don't feel far. I never have to hide anything. There's a physical shalom too. A physical shalom is like, like when I get sick, I don't know, my back hurts. I played basketball on, thir when did I play basketball? on Thursday and my back's been hurting since then, okay? And my, I've been doing little exercises to fix my knee because I have issues in my knee. I don't know if you guys can tell you're gonna, now you're all gonna stare at this for, for the rest of the day. But I don't know if you can see it, but my legs, they don't go straight down. My knees kinda like, they, I can't put my feet together completely without my knees hitting. Her legs are supposed to go straight, but my legs bend in a little bit, okay? They're a little crooked, just a little bit. It makes me pigeon toed slightly. Okay, now you're all gonna be judging how I walk and everything, right? But even something small like that, even something small like, like it causes pain in my knee. It wasn't meant to be that way. My body wasn't meant to be hurting when I jump or run and that kind of stuff. A physical shalom is, a, is, a mo is what it would look like is when there's perfect health, perfect alignment in every bone, in every muscle, in, in every fiber, and every organ is working perfectly. And you, and you go poop exactly every morning at the same time every day. And it's like thick and healthy, all right? right? <laughs> But the idea of like a healthy digestive system, you don't get headaches, everything just is clean and perfect. It's a physical type of shalom, right? There's an emotional shalom where like, there's a psychological, because people have psychological issues. They get caught in ways of thinking that are damaging to them. They mess up one small thing and they start thinking about, I'm a terrible person, I'm a terrible person, everyone hates me. That's not true. But their brain over time has become wired to think, and think in ways that are not true, that are damaging to yourself. Right? Shalom is something that happens on an individual level. But it also happens on an external, right? A relational level. It happens on every aspect. It happens one-on-one. -on -one. Like, shalom can look like me mending a relationship with an old friend. Shalom can look like a, a misunderstanding. Like, oh, I think this person hates me. I think this person is uh, out to get me. 
And they're like, no, actually, I really admire you. you know, that's why I keep copying things that you do. It's like, oh, I thought you were trying to like be my rival or something. It's like, a, you know, it's, it's, it's where like, oh, I was misunderstanding you. They're like, clearing a misunderstanding. It's like, shalom. We're on the same page now. Right? It can look a little bigger, like we're a whole community. It's like, we're, I, you find a sense of identity. Like, man, I'm a part of Collide City Church. And, and we all have our different parts. We're functioning as a great team, right? And that can look like shalom. But it also extends further. It gets, it's on every level. Society. Shalom will look like where, where there's not these, these volatile, toxic, left and right, hating each other and trying to kill each other and yelling at each other all the time. But the, where there's mutual understanding, where there's un, an understanding that there's different tendencies that we need to address, you know, where they can talk civilly and work together for the greater good. That would be, that would what political shalom would look like. Poli- I don't know what that would look like. We're, we're still working toward it, but on every level. Even on global, global shalom, there shouldn't be countries that are, that are like experiencing intense poverty and countries that are, that are experiencing war and, and tyranny and all that kind of stuff. I don't even want to mention some countries because it could be a hot topic, right? But there's crazy stuff going on all around the world. Shalom will look like, we will look like world peace. Where every country is thriving. There's no countries where people are starving. Right? There's, there's no intense power dynamics where one country can completely dominate and tyrannize another country. Right, another group of people. Shalom looks like a full picture where everything is finally where it was meant to be. Where people are finally connected, where people are finally living as they were meant to live. They don't have to live in fear. They don't have to live in danger. They don't have to live in, in pain anymore. But they can finally find, I belong. I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. I'm doing everything I was meant to do, and I feel that I am who I was designed and called to be. Right? Shalom. That's the, it's this work of God from beginning to end, little by little, that He's bringing it all back. Right? The move. I wrote this down. The movement of God from Genesis to Revelation is to restore the shalom that was broken in the Garden of Eden. But I want to say one thing. It is a movement. It's a, it's a rotate. It's coming back, right? We're trying to restore. But what we know what the end picture is going to look like. In Revelation, it talks about it. When we talk in Revelation, on the one day, when the heavenly city comes down, when Jesus comes back and he rules and he reigns, and there's a resurrection, when the fullness of his promise of the kingdom returns, right? We know what it's going to look like. But it's not going to look like a garden, right? So there, there's something, there's a disconnect here. Because... What, it's not going to look exactly as it used to. It's actually going to build. It's going to build. It's going to be better. It's not going to be green. There's going to be green. I'm sure there's going to be green grass. But it's not going to be just gardens. There's going to be roads and beautiful buildings. And they're going to be amazing structures. It's going to be the most beautiful architecture you've ever seen. It's going to be fountains and, and boats and technology and all that kind of stuff. I believe the kingdom is going to look beautiful. Amen? Is that right, Josh? That's right. <laughs> My buddy just walked in. And, and it's going to look different though. See, see the process is this. The, pro- the, the process of restoring shalom is not trying to recreate what was in the past. Not trying to go backwards. But it's even as things break, how do we build to something better? See, the process of shalom that God does, the process of shalom where there was something good, and then, there was, and then it was broken. The process of restoring, it takes hard work. And there's going to show fruit. A lot of times people think if we have to work for it, if we have to try, that means it's not in God's will. That is not true. Right? Because in the Garden of Eden, everything happened naturally. But in the holy city, the glorious city, when it comes back, we're going to build it. Right? It's something that we create together. God had to work to build something new. And what we see looking forward will be better than anything we had in the past. But we have to go through the middle. We have to go through the hard stuff. We have to be willing to deal with the brokenness, to engage with the hard things, the messiness. Not just saying, oh, it's not supposed to be like this. It's not supposed to be like this. Why can't we just go back to how it was? No, a peacemaker, one who works for Shalom says, what we had is broken and it's lost. But what we can create together will be more beautiful than what we had in the past. Amen? What we had in the past was good, but there's brokenness we face now. 
But if we engage in it together, if we work on it together, what we can build from here will be more beautiful than what we had in the first place. Amen? That's the work of shalom. The work of shalom. All right? And so when we look at what God's doing, in Colossians 1.20 it says this, And through Him, through Jesus Christ, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. It's not just saying an individual, because this is looking, Colossians 1 is looking beyond the scope of just individual salvation. What he's saying is that the work of God is doesn't end. It doesn't begin and end with salvation. There's a time coming when he will reconcile all things. Everything will finally make sense. And we'll see that shalom on every level. Amen? But it begins, first and foremost, with a spiritual, spiritual reconciliation. Right? When I use the word reconciliation, what I mean is, is two things that were once at odds with each other, at, against each other, that were contradictory to each other, are now make sense together. They're reconnected. They're back in connection. That makes sense? Reconcile. You guys know the term, right? Reconcile. Spiritual reconciliation, it first and foremost has to come between you and God. It begins with salvation. And shalom works outward. It works outward. And this was exactly what God was addressing in his whole journey. Because you see the kingdom, the kingdom was broken. The kings were fallen. The, the, the kingdom of Israel was, was screwing up. And no matter how much you tried to fix it, it wouldn't work. What he had to do was go back. Okay, I got to go back. Because what was, what, what was trying to work, what we were trying to work on wasn't working. So I need to go back. The new covenant, when Jesus came on the scene, his initiative was I came to change the hearts of men. Because I need to go all the way back to the beginning. It's not, it's not if I put a right king in place. It's not if I put a right political party in place. It's not if I fix this, if I just build a better building, if I, if I have a stronger military. All of those things, nothing's going to get fixed. What needs to change is the heart of man. That is a salvation issue. It's a spiritual issue. And when we're restored in our relationship with God, when we're restored in our relationship with God, that's where we begin. And it begins with salvation. I'm reunited with my heavenly Father. The brokenness, the darkness, the selfishness, the sin that's in me is beginning to find healing and restoration. And from this place, I can do something to help the world. Right? So, we, so uh, spiritual reconciliation is the foundation. Amen? Right? But the vision, but the vision is what I wrote, social reconciliation. When I just say social, I don't, I don't know what you, what you picture, but I mean on every level. Social beginning with individual relationships. Social starting with our community, our church, our city. Social meaning our nation, our political system, our, our policy, that kind of stuff. And, and even global, international policy, that kind of, the, the kind of relationships we have in, in regards to other nations, right? Social reconciliation is the dream. It's the vision. It's the vision. It begins, and I think there can be such an emphasis on the need for spiritual reconciliation, but then a neglect sometimes on the on the need for social reconciliation. And so people have noticed that, and they kind of like swing really hard on this way. Where okay, now we need to be about. We can't just be about you know just believe in Jesus and everything will be fine because it's not true. What happens? You go to a country and they're starving to death, and it's like, hey, just believe in Jesus, and that's that's it. Like, yeah, but I'm dying. My kids are dying. People are killing us every day. It's like. Yeah, but I just I just want to address like the spiritual issues. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God recognizes like I want to bring reconciliation to everything. It's not right. It's not right. I need I want to see restoration. I want to see each of my children in every nation, every place thriving, living in a sense of safety, a sense of, of fulfillment where they can build something. They have a sense of purpose, right? That it's a goal. But spiritual reconciliation without social reconciliation, is always going to feel disappointing. It's going to feel incomplete. It's going to feel like shallow, right? But then social reconciliation without the spiritual reconciliation is going to be hollow. It's going to be hope. It's going to be impossible, really. It's going to be help. It's going to fall apart, right? It's doomed. Social without the spiritual is hollow and doomed. But there's something here that I really want to 
you guys the picture, okay? So, so I'm just gonna put this down. Um, picture me making a circle right here, right? Let's say here's spiritual. Here's okay. Here's my own issues, and I need to find spiritual healing and reconciliation and deal with my own. And God's gonna restore me and and work through all my issues. And I'm gonna become more transformed and sanctified. Okay, that's important. Here's the spiritual stuff. And then there's the global stuff. Okay, here's the global stuff. And we need to end homelessness in America. We need to fight against injustice happening in the Middle East. We need to, you know, there's persecution in, in Asia. All these kind of global crises, right? There's things that we want to address. And, and we want to reach for those things, okay? But sometimes, I feel like this happens so often. Churches neglect what happens in the middle, okay? Here's here, here's the spiritual, individual stuff. Oh, we're missing the social stuff. Okay, let's go to reach the world. Let's go to fix all these huge, we need to bring shalom on the largest scale we can. But there's this gap in between. People don't know how to get along with one another. Okay? So now we're getting to the meat of what I want to talk about today, okay? We're talking about family feud. And I want to address this gap because I think we're going to hit a place, we're a church, we care about locality, we care about the local and the global. We want to address injustice, we want to address issues in the world. We've been very vocal even about stuff like with Black Lives Matter and Asian hate, all that kind of stuff. We want to address those things. And of course we care about the individual spiritual, we want people to be saved, to know Jesus. But there's this gap in the will of God that churches neglect and it causes so much disruption. Because you find churches that are so, they, they get really focused on the, the trying to save the world, do big stuff, but then they fall apart because they don't know how to get along with each other. They don't know how to address issues in their own house. They don't know how to deal with their own wives. You find leaders all the time who like, yeah, they, you know, they're, they're global leaders. They have huge organizations. They, have, they speak on big platforms. They get paid a lot of money to do a lot of big stuff, but they go home and they deal with all these personal sin issues because they don't know how to live in, in a healthy community. They don't know how to look at their wife or their friend or their church members and have deep, meaningful relationships. They don't experience shalom on a larger scale beyond just very private, personal stuff. Yeah, I, I feel the presence of God. I feel loved by God. Everyone else, I just keep you as far away from me as possible, uh -oh. right? I, and you guys just need to do your thing. Oh, but then you see a homeless person from another country. I want to help you. I really care. You know, the, the, the power of God is going to, you know, we're going to change the world through you. And then everything else in the middle, you just neglect. But I'm convinced, right, on every level, you have to focus. If you focus on each the small levels, right, they will, it'll move out. I'm not saying that it'll happen naturally. It happens intentionally, Okay. It's just not like, oh, if you just, if you just pray a lot, then all your relationships will get better. It's not what I'm saying. If we just have really good friends at church, you know, we're going to reach the world. That's not, that's not going to happen. You got to actually like, you know, go somewhere. You got to call somebody. You got to, hey, we will call the city of, of, of Fremont or Hayward and be like, how can we help? What can we do? Right? There's those kinds of things. But we have to address each thing. Give it its time. Okay? And what we want to focus on today, this series, is hitting that gap. How do we bring shalom? How do we experience shalom? How do we commit ourselves to the hard work of building the kingdom of God? Just beginning first in our relationships, within our own house. House, I mean like immediate family house, like where you live house, but also the house of Clyde City Church, our church community, our family. Amen? And I think what's going to be so important in addressing those issues right there, we're going to talk about conflict. Okay? We're going to talk about conflict. Because conflict, addressing, engaging with conflict on every other level makes a ton of sense. Right? On a spiritual level, what does engaging conflict look like? It's addressing the hard stuff. Like trauma of your past, deep unforgiveness, anger issues. Like, oh man, I have some deep stuff in my heart i got to deal with. And you confront it. You know, you engage in that conflict. I'm going to deal with my issues. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go through healing and all that kind of stuff. And then on the justice level, on the global level, yeah, we understand conflict. We've got to fight against tyranny. We have to, we have to, we have to go to the courts. We have to make a difference on the pol political level, right? On a policy level. We have to do something. But it's funny because when it comes to relationships, we're not willing to really try very hard. We don't engage conflict. We actually look at conflict as a bad sign. In almost every other level, we look at seeing conflict as a good thing. Oh, wow, they're fighting with their demons. They're fighting with their spiritual stuff. 
oh wow, they're going out to the streets and, and, and making a, and causing a ruckus because they want to make change. That's conflict. They're causing problems. They're, they're causing disruption. And we look at that as a good thing. But then when it comes to like relationships and community, when someone brings something up that's a problem, hey, why are you, why are you so angry? Why are you causing division? Why are you coming at me like that? Why can't you just, why can't you just be nicer or be, I'm not saying you shouldn't be, you should be mean. But embracing conflict and seeing conflict as actually a positive thing that is, that's necessary if we want to engage in the work of shalom, in the work of peace. Are you guys with me? You're with me. So, the work of shalom. I want to address a few reasons why. Now we're moving, I'm not going to talk about shalom so much anymore. We, we've set a framework. We understand the vision of God. Amen? Now I just want to talk about on a personal, individual level. How do you go about engaging in conflict? Right? And I could spend days talking about this. But I want to hit a few things. First, I want to talk about ways that we already do deal with brokenness. I, I'm going to use the term brokenness. When I say brokenness, I mean when shalom is broken. Shalom being broken can look like, again, I'm going to bring up some real instances, okay? Shalom, brokenness, broken shalom can look like um, somebody says something to me that sounds really rude. Like, pick up that piece of stuff. Like, you just bossed me around like I'm your slave. All of a sudden, you feel kind of hurt and feel disrespected. That can be broken shalom. Someone says something like, uh, I don't know, my wife... I'm just making stuff up right now, you know, like we're in public and it's like, oh yeah, Andrew loves, um, loves this music group. Andrew loves Drake. And in my mind, I'm like, I really don't like Drake. I have no feeling, like, you know, and all of a sudden I feel misunderstood. I feel misrepresented. I feel like then that's broken show. I'm talking small things, right? I'm talking small things where we're slights, little things where you feel hurt. We feel misunderstood. You feel disrespected. That could be broken shalom. Uh, there's some obvious reason. Uh, there's some obvious brokenness in shalom where it's like, you cheated on you cheated on me, or my wife cheated on me, or you used to hit me as a kid, like intense domestic violence and abuse and adultery. Of course, that's broken shalom. But I, I, I feel like people hide behind, oh, that's real problems. Right? Those are real problems. These little these things where I feel hurt or misunderstood, that's not a big deal. But, but it's experiencing brokenness in shalom. And when we just kind of kind of just, you know, what, what's that term? You know, we just kind of glaze over it. It's like, oh, it's not a big thing. You're being lazy. You're being lazy and you're taking a passive approach. Hey, we were called to be a people. We live in deep shalom. And I have to be willing to even engage in those things because, why? Because you are teaching people how to love you better. And you're also learning how to be loved. And the other way around, you're learning how to love, but you're also you're, you're giving people, every time you're willing to engage in conflict, in bringing something up, you're giving them an opportunity to love you better. You're giving them an opportunity to, to know you. See, church is so, what's that? I just had a thought of something I heard about where in like the old like the old school church, first gen church, they felt love but not known. But the idea of like, because when I think of the older generation, at least our Asian American older generation churches, a lot of times it's like whenever any problem comes up, like, hey, just don't complain. Hey, just 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 smile, just be spiritual, just be godly, be mature, don't deal with issues, right? And so you feel love because they'll feed you and they'll take care of you and they'll buy you stuff, but you don't feel known because you never get to you never get to see what you feel. They don't actually know why you're hurt. They don't actually want to hear why you're hurt. They don't want to know what's going on. They don't want to understand, you know, your story or your experience. So you're like, yeah, I know they love me. Every, a lot of people say that. I know my parents love me. But you don't want to say anything bad because you love them. But they never took the time to hear you out. Right? Um, ways people deal with brokenness, okay? Ways people deal with brokenness. First, one, I got a few of these, and there's a bunch more, but a few that were hitting my heart. First is this, retaliation. Okay? You heard, anybody watch Money Heist on Netflix? It's pretty fun. Oh, dang, wow, nobody. Go watch it. It's a ton of fun. It's like a... <laughs> but there's one scene where a girl um, 
a girl and a guy, they were together for a while and they, you know, they loved each other, but then the guy basically broke up with the girl and she was so hurt, so betrayed, and then she comes back and says, yeah, you're right, you were nothing to me anyway. And the voiceover says this, it's like, um, sometimes when you're hurting, the only thing that'll make you feel better is to hurt them back. And I was like, that's so true. <laughs> that one. He's like, yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> and retaliation, right? Retaliation says, I will hurt, I will hurt you. I will hurt others because it makes me feel better about being hurt. You know, because when you feel hurt, sometimes it feels like you feel like there's a power dynamic. Like I was hurt. I'm the one without the power. And so to get that power back, to feel like I have a sense of control, I need to hurt you back. It makes me feel strong. Right? So instead of like instead of meaningfully engaging in conflict, the way they go about it is just to hurt you back. Right? You misunderstood me. She's let's say let's say Sarah said that like, oh yeah, Andrew, he loves Taylor Swift, and I feel so hurt and bitter about that. Like, next time I'm in public, I'm gonna say something terrible about her. Like, oh yeah, Sarah loves bullying people or something like I don't know something really rude or like a terrible what's a terrible show. That nobody should like. like I, know, I know one thing in, in churches, you're not allowed to like. <laughs> yeah. And I'll be like, oh, Sarah loves friends. And like, what an idiot. You know, I'm just kidding. Uh, I actually like friends. <laughs> I grew up, my sister watched it a lot. Uh, Sarah doesn't even really like friends, dude. She looks real hurt over there. I'm so sorry. We're going to have some conflict in a minute. Okay, well, I'm going to practice what I preach. Retaliation, right? That it's trying to hurt somebody. Yeah. Another is gaslighting. And that term's gotten really popular nowadays, but really, really simply try to make you understand what gaslighting means. Gaslighting is when you try to make the problem not about, so if person, someone addresses an issue, gaslighting is saying, oh, this isn't the issue. You're the issue. Okay, you're the issue. So for example, like, um, uh, let's say somebody says something really mean to me. Pastor Dell says something really rude to me. Oh my gosh, Andrew, you're so smelly. Okay? And, you know, that's a common thing I hear. But, um, and he says that, and I feel really hurt. So I'm like, uh, Pastor Dell, like, that was really hurtful. I've struggled my whole life with smell, body odor. But, and I say that, and what gaslighting would be like, oh, I, that wasn't a mean thing to say. You're just too sensitive. Right? And so it's making it about them. Like, oh, hey, no, that's not, like, like, hey, I felt like what you did was kind of rude or thought, un, like, not thoughtful. It's like, we just, like, you're just being unflexible. You're just so rigid. You're just, you don't know how to adapt. So it's like, even if you really did mess up, well, you should be a better person and, and have been able to work around that. It's not my fault. You're just so difficult, right? Oh, my gosh, I'm just, I'm just trying to have fun. Why are you so boring? Right? All, all these kind of things where you make it an attack on the person. Gaslighting. They don't want to. They don't want to address the issue. They don't want to own up to the fact that they did something wrong. They don't want to own up to the fact that the person felt hurt. They want to say, "Hey, why are you making such a big deal out of it? Why, can you just like leave us alone and, and go cry about it by yourself, right? Or fix yourself so that we don't have to deal with these things?" Gaslighting. Right. Another way people deal with it is is through independence. Independence is actually it's something that's become very. It's a virtue in American culture, right? Hyper individuality, independence, being able to not need anyone or not need anything. Um, and I think sometimes even some popular psychology can get into a place where it's like, you shouldn't need anybody. You should, uh, what's the word? Um, oh, I'm speaking for me. Independence. I will detach myself to avoid any potential tension. Okay. I will detach myself to avoid any potential tension tension or pain or, or, or betrayal or anything. I will detach myself. So a lot of times in, in churches, like, you know what? I think you just do your thing and I'll do my thing. And sometimes that works. It can work for a while. But you can never have deep relationship. You can't have deep shalom because shalom is interconnectedness. Shalom is harmony where my life and your life, we, we're intertwined and we engage with one another. Right? So much of church to keep it, to keep it clean to keep it to, no mess, nothing. You just like, hey, you know, you just stay in your one small group. You know, you just do this and just, you kind of stay away from each other. You just leave church things at church and you just don't, don't rock the boat at all. Okay. It's, it's, and what you want to do is, okay, I don't want to get too involved. I don't want to see them once or twice a year. 
and so that we stay good friends, but I never have to really try, okay? I never have to risk anything. Or what you can even do is sometimes what this can look like too is just getting rid of people in your life that are difficult and just saying, you know, this person is kind of negative, so I'm just going to stop listening to, listening to them and just cut them out of my life because I can't handle any negativity in my life. You know, there is, and I'm not, I'm not going to say that you should always let difficult people take up as much time in your life as, as right. they want. Okay, that's not healthy either. We can have a whole separate sermon series on boundaries and all that kind of stuff. What does it mean to have godliness and boundaries? How to be compassionate and loving, yet be good stewards of your own physical body and health and emotional health, right? But sometimes people just don't want to deal with difficult people. They don't want to do the hard work of listening. They don't want to own up to any of their issues or their responsibilities. They don't want to have to try to hear you out and try to become, to grow, right? Oh, wow, me doing that? It's so selfish. I got to grow in that. Like, you know, I'm just going to, I don't want to, I don't want any people in my life that are too clingy or try to get involved in my life or know too much about me. Independence, okay? Last one is this, and I'm the most guilty of this one. Self-forgetting. Okay, I can't think of a better word than that. Self-forgetting. I know there's a better word out there. But the statement is this. I will neglect myself to maintain a sense of connection. I will deny my own needs. I will deny my own feelings. I will deny my own, my own experiences, my own pain to maintain a sense of connection. Okay? This is when Sarah tells somebody that I love Taylor Swift and I'm really hurt and upset. And she's like, right? And I look at her and be like, yeah, I love Taylor Swift, but I don't want to cause any problems. And it's like, I feel very hurt and misunderstood, because like, why would anyone like Taylor? I'm just kidding. But, and, and I feel so hurt and misunderstood. But, you know, don't cause, don't make a scene about it. Just who cares what, what I feel? But then what happens is that then she feels great. She's like, oh yeah, I totally know Andrew, and I love him. We, we just get, you know, I know exactly what he loves, but deep down inside, I feel totally unseen. I feel like they don't have any idea what actually goes on inside of me. If she knew me, she would know. I don't know. <laughs> Simple things like that. But self-forgetting. And all of these issues, like I think self-forgetting is, is it's so huge because so many times it, it feels noble. It can feel noble. It can feel like spiritual, God. Oh, you know, I'm just going to deny myself. You know, because I, I made a commitment to follow Jesus, and I'm going to deny myself to follow him. And so I'm going to love this person by just, even when they hurt me, just saying, oh, no, no, totally, nothing's wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. Even they abuse me, even if they lie to me, even if they cheat me, even if, they, even if they, they're manipulating me, no matter what it is, they just, that's okay. That's fine. And it's so, it's so scary. It's so poisonous because it can feel so godly, so spiritual, right? But God has called us to live in shalom. And for you to feel like you don't have a voice, for you to feel like you can't say what's really going on inside of you, if you don't feel known and understood and respected and valued and heard, you are not living in shalom. You're living in, a, in, a, in, a, in an illusion. You're living in a farce, right? A, a fake sense of real deep connection. That is not depth in relationship. That is not godliness. It's, it's a cop-out. Right? Because you're, you're, you're settling for a shell of what community is look, supposed to look like. Because the church is meant to be a thriving, loving, committed community. But that doesn't mean now everybody just shut up about what you want, what you need, and just fall in line. Okay? Is that a signal? Did you say something? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> fall in line. Amen? But that is a lie. That is anti-gospel. The gospel says, I see you. Your experience matters. Your mistakes matter. Your sin matters. All of that matters. But I care about your individual story. And yet, I will forgive. And I will bring restoration to you. Each person's experience and voice matters. It's a lot harder to be honest about stuff and work it out than it is to just pretend like everything's fine. Okay? So now we're going to get to how do we step into conflict toward peace. Okay? little verse I have here. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault because you and him, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. This goes on to talk about if they didn't, if they didn't um, listen to you, then bring somebody else, bring some more of the community, and if still not, it's fine. You know, it, it, there's a progression to it. But I want to just address the first part. 
because this might be, I feel like it's one of the most disobeyed commandments of Jesus of like, hey, if somebody hurts you, say something to them. It's so simple. If somebody does something wrong to you, if somebody, if somebody has done something that made you feel isolated or alienated or hurt or whatever, say something. And it's so much of like, no, in the name of godliness, I'm going to disobey Jesus. Right? In the name of being holy and, and whatever. I, but really, a lot of it is just pride. Yeah. You don't want to admit that you're hurt. Yeah. You don't want to admit that you have needs. You don't want to admit that you're kind of, you're, you're weak, that they have the power of you to actually hurt you. It's really an act of love to say, you matter enough to me. You matter enough to me for me to say that that hurt. That you actually have power in my life to hurt me because I care about you. If you are a stranger, I mean, strangers can still hurt your feelings, but not in the same way that family can. Amen? I could talk about that for a long time, because I've had close friends who, I have to talk with them, and say, I feel like there's nothing I could ever do to hurt you. And they were like, why would you want to hurt me? And, but, I was, but what I was saying was, I feel like you have this wall, where actually, at the end of the day, what I do, when I say it doesn't affect you. Right? And you're supposed to be close friends with me. But for him, it was like, I don't want to ever be hurt. It's like, don't you trust me? How do we engage in conflict? How do we step into it? I just have three steps for us, okay? The first is this. Honest acknowledgement of brokenness. Honest acknowledgement of brokenness. When I, again, when I'm saying brokenness, I'm saying when there's brokenness in Shalom, there's an offense, hurt, a misunderstanding, which can be a long list of stuff, but when you understand that there is not harmony between you two, an honest acknowledgement of brokenness, this takes courage, this takes a lot of actual, it takes a moment, because sometimes we get so used to just pushing down our feelings and saying we're fine, acting strong, that after a while we start believing our own lie. Like, yeah, nothing's wrong, I'm totally fine. When really you just buried it so deep that it's hiding and it's rotting beneath the surface. Right? And if you never acknowledge those things, I'm telling you this, the needs, the, the desires, the needs that you are unaware of are the ones that will control you most. Okay? The desires and the needs that you are most unaware of are the ones that control you the most. And if we can't honestly acknowledge where there was brokenness, we'll just continue to live in a lie. Right? So what does it mean to honestly acknowledge brokenness? Hey, there was, hey, there was, what you said was offensive, what you said was rude, what you did was hurtful, um, what you did, even if it was just like, just wrong, I feel like it was um, like unethical, I don't know, whatever it is, but calling things out. Honestly acknowledgement, and I, I put that word there, honest acknowledgement. Because it's easy to just say, hey, what you did is wrong, or yeah, I think that was me. But honest acknowledgement is engaging how were you personally affected by it? Not just, yeah, sometimes they say mean things, but yeah, that's, that's probably not good. But honest acknowledgement means, yeah, I felt disrespected. I felt hurt. I felt silenced, right? Honest acknowledgement is, is, is putting some skin in the game, okay? Putting some, how did you personally get affected by the brokenness? And second is forgiveness. Okay? Honest acknowledgement of brokenness. Second is forgiveness. Forgiveness is such a huge thing. It's, it's, a, it's a pillar. It's a building block of the kingdom, right? We don't have time to dive into how do we go about forgiveness because I know it's a messy, difficult, painful issue. But I want to just address one thing. One, I'm going to address a few things. One, you can forgive somebody without condemning them. People who are innocent, people who are hurting, people who are broken can still hurt you. And you still need to forgive them. It's not a condemnation on them at all. Right? See, forgiveness is, is, is really just recognizing, forgiveness is the natural outcome of honest acknowledgement of brokenness. Okay? Okay, I acknowledge there was hurt there. But forgiveness is saying that what they have done to me, what they have taken from me, how they have affected me, they can't take it back. They can't change it. They can't repay it. That's really what forgiveness is. That what they've taken from me, 
അങ്ങനെ Someone stole my innocence. Let's say like if you were sexually abused as a child, someone stole my innocence. Forgiveness looks like they can never get that back. They will never be able to go back and fix the damage that was done. Right? The debt that they owe to me, they can never repay me. And I'm going to release it. But we can do that as Christians because we understand but i believe that what was taken from me what was withheld from me will be given to me 10 times more by my heavenly father not by giving back what was lost by giving something new moving forward in the future amen right we can only we can only forgive we can only let go because we know that we have a god who provides amen forgiveness and so even in a small slight and when someone doesn't that hurts you okay sarah hurt i i acknowledge that i hurt I understand that she hurt me and she doesn't I'm not going to expect her to need to fix it or like, now you owe me and now you now you're indebted to me and you have to pay it back you have to you know you have to what's the word you have to pay penance you got to you got to be sad and apologize all this stuff but cuz that's just holding something over somebody that that you're then you're just going to hurt them back and it just becomes a vicious cycle no one's ever satisfied okay but forgiveness begins to break the cycle of expected expectations your knowledge of brokenness and it begins with forgiveness and then we can move into vulnerable intentionality toward restoration okay vulnerable intentionality toward restoration you guys with me still when i talk about vulnerable intentionality toward restoration there's a million things involved this is a, a huge oversimplification okay it's not that easy it's not just okay i got to try to do something this this step this third step vulnerable intentionality toward restoration is a thousand things but i think what i want to hit on is vulnerable vulnerability needs to begin with risking something and when you are willing to engage in conflict but all I'm really trying to say in vulnerable intentionality toward restoration what i mean is just in simple terms starting the conversation 